Hello, all. I'm Daniel Kubal, again, your host of the, fan- the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. You can tell it's already been a long week for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I have my guest here with me, Kelly McCullough. Kelly, how are you doing today? Yeah. I'm doing great. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely a morning person, so if I'm a little slow on something, that, that, that's why. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. It's been a, a very fall morning here uh, in mm-hmm. central New York, so I definitely understand that feeling. So <laughs> it took me a while to wake up. <laughs> Well, Kelly, like I was telling you before we started recording, uh, my, you know, myself and my friend are a, a huge fan of your Fallen Blades uh, series. Um, I remember one day, uh, it was about two years ago, and my wife just, we were having, I was having a really rough day from work. I have a teacher and it was right before the pandemic. And she was like, hey, let's just go to Barnes and Noble. And we were kind of out and about shopping. So I was like, fine. She's like, buying a book always makes you feel better. So I said, sure. So we go into uh, one of the local Barnes and Nobles in Syracuse and, you know, your first book is sitting right there. And I thought, you know what, that really looks like me. And the cover had me. I went and as soon as I read the blurb on the back, I was like, yes, yes, this is definitely my kind of read. And I was really slammed with grad school and different things. I was finishing up uh, my second master's and I probably finished it within two and a half days, uh, which is also really impressive because I was also coaching at the time too. Uh, and I was tutoring. So I mean, it was like, I, I think I maybe, maybe finished it in, you know, maybe 11 hours with all of that being broken up. So after that, I went and grabbed the next three <laughs> right off the bat uh, and just went bam, bam, bam. And then uh, once I was done with my master's, it probably took me about a month or two, you know, to kind of get my brain free. Um, but I ended up finishing all of them really within the first, like, I'd say like three or four months of discovering the first book. Uh, so I was really excited, you know, to talk to you on Twitter and things like that. And I was really excited that, you know, you want to come and talk to us, uh, today, actually. Um, I'm really curious to hear about your answer for this first question. What has your writing journey been like up until this point? And I know that's a loaded question, but a lot of our (laughs) viewers just want to know because a lot of them are in the same, you know, boats, you know, and things like that, or the same harbors or docks. And it's nice to see that people are sailing away in a good spot. So yeah, for me, it's been, um, my career actually looks a lot like a career of somebody 20 years older because I actually started out um, most well I wrote a novel it's not very good it's it's down in my basement in a shelf somewhere um, it actually almost sold a couple of times and I occasionally imagine what it, my, my career would be like if, it, if that had sold back in well, I mean, that would have been 1990 um, okay. for the, my first book selling around 2005 and I think that I would have, it would have really stunted my growth as an author. Um, there are so many things that I learned by failing <laughs> um, that it helps. But so then I, then I started writing short stories and selling them. And actually my, my break-in was short stories to um, some of the classic uh, paper magazines. So like my oh, first okay. short story went to Weird Tales, the classic pulp oh. magazine. Oh, cool. Um, you know, I, and I did short stories for a while and then one of those short stories I used as the anchor point for um, my first novel, for my first saleable novel, Webmage, um, and went looking for an agent and was able to get an agent because I had broken into the pulps, I mean, old school agent. And so it was that very much like if I had started writing in 1950, to, um, you know, sort of the midpoint. Eight or, eight or ten books in um but yeah so that's that that's it it was not a smooth progression by any means like i said i i started writing well let me take one step back um 
I come out of theater. Uh, cool. I was a improv performer for many years, a uh, child actor. I, I started acting when I was nine or 10. Um, but when I was about 20, I met the woman who I eventually married, my, 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 my now wife of 27, 28 years. And, and it was like this light went on over my head that said, you, you do realize that theater and having a, a, a relationship in a normal life are not the world's most compatible goals. <laughs> and despite having been doing theater at that point for 12, 15 years, I was, it, was, it was like this revelatory moment. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to take a step back from the theater. I'm going to not do, do my normal fall improv stuff. And I'm going to try and figure out whether I still want to do that or what. And so I sat down to write what was my first novel. And the reason I started writing was um, always loved science fiction, always loved fantasy. Um, my mother used to read them to me before I could speak. Um, so I'm like a third generation fan. Awesome. And I sat down to write it in part because I love the field and in part because every teacher I've ever had was like, you're a great writer. You should be writing more. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll try and write a book. And um, I just, I fell in love with the process. I love everything about writing. I love sitting down to work. I love new worlds appearing in front of you. I love hitting that intractable problem where you're like, I don't know what happens next. How, how do I solve this problem? I love that moment when something you threw in like, six chapters back just because you're like, oh, this would be a cool detail. Turns out to be critical for a plot point. I just, the whole thing. Um, so then I wrote that novel, didn't sell. Uh, actually wrote a second novel, shifted over to short stories, was writing a third novel with the short story, sold short stories. Um, wrote the fourth novel, Web Mage, which was my first novel that sold. Um, and then was very much in production mode um, with, with Penguin Ace and then um, Firewall and Friends McMillan for my, my kid's side. I'm, I'm currently in a, in a, in a lull because the Penguin Random House merger uh, put the skids on that, on that side of my career and the third kid's book didn't do so great. So I'm in the middle of looking for a new publisher and also looking for a new agent, which is always, you know, not the world's most fun, but yeah, took uh well, from starting writing in 89 to first short story sale was 10 years and then 15 to the book, first book. So that's one thing that um, I've had a large conversation with, um, with a good deal of like the indie writing community in particular. Um, and one thing that we just want to do mention to people, you know, because um, um, for instance, like um, Adrian uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, has a very similar story to yourself. And he was like 13, 14 years in, I think he was like 12 books in. And he's like, if this last one doesn't sell, he's like, I'm going to go and do something else. But that ended up being um, Children of Men uh, and doing really well. Uh, and then, you know, spurring off, um, you know, his next series, uh, which has been great for him. But I just, it's interesting for me, I feel like to talk to different people who are just starting out and you know, they're very frustrated. And I'm like, don't be frustrated. I said, if you think you're going to be an overnight success, you know, you look at um, George R. R. Martin, he's another one of those guys, you know, who was in it for okay, a really his, long time, you know, he was, he went off to do tel uh, television writing almost exclusively. In there. Yeah. And on the, on the indie front, I have a couple of indie books myself. Now that's one of the things that 
having the PRH merger kind of blow up that side of my career for a while made me think I want to be more in control. Um, I want to get back to a place where I've got my new agent and my new, and my agent and I get along great. He's just 900 years old and retiring. Um, but I want to get back to that side of things, but I don't want to be back in the place where I was, where I was writing two commercial books a year for a large press. What I'd like to do is write one large press book a year or every other year, and then also be doing the indie stuff where I have a little bit more control because that's been really nice. I really... There are parts about the publishers that um, I'm not thrilled with, but I can outsource most of those. But I really like being in control of the pace. Um, and my Patreon is one of the things where I've been, I run stuff through there. And that's been, that's been great. And it's been really motivating to keep me writing, even in those windows where I was like, ah, my career is over. <laughs> <laughs> the lulls, as Michael R. Fletcher calls them, the lulls. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's like, uh, I was just talking to Dirk Ashton about that, um, you know, that, that type of method where I call it the Brandon Sanderson method because, you know, he gets, those uh those traditional you know contracts but he's been really doing well with skyward and a couple of those other ones mm -hmm. his uh the librarian series uh the young adult um you know like those are his indie and you know i just i think that really i think the future of publishing in my opinion is going to go to hybrid because like you said you know you know you guys are you know writing these books for for trade publishing but at the same time you know and it's especially now with the pandemic it's a lot slower than it used to be uh, which is saying something. So yeah. I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the I have a, a, a small press partner that does the, uh, oh, the hard cool. copy for my indie books. And what he was saying um, for him is that with the pandemic, with everybody doing their book shopping online, um, his, his, his business essentially jumped because readers don't care. Readers don't care if it's Penguin, they don't care if it's Wilder, they don't care who, they don't care what they care about is getting the books by the authors they want. And um, I, man, the transformation in the industry since I started, like I said, I have that old classic Pulp's career start. Um, and when I was starting, you know, we didn't, well, we didn't have any press, we had Vanity Press, which was yeah. a terrible career killing idea. And I watching the transformation has been, surreal and very very cool give 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 so much more control to the writer yeah i i think paul s kemp uh a lot personally because i had uh had talked to him years ago i think it was probably almost 10 years ago um that's when like right forgotten realms was still actually putting out books um other than the big three and i had had somebody approach me um about a novel i was writing and it was total crap so i'm glad that i, I didn't publish it but uh I thought that they were an actual company and I sent them, you know, the link and everything mm -hmm. and the name and the agent's name or whatever to Paul S. Kemp. And he sent me a message back on Facebook. He said, Dan, this is a vanity press and you don't want anything to do with it. He's like, if you don't want to go traditional, he's like, you might want to look into indie. And that was the first time that I had ever even heard the word, you know, indie yep. publishing. And, you know, now years later, I'm really glad I didn't do it again because this book has changed so much. And I think it'd actually be one that people would like to read in the future versus, you know, getting taken advantage of. And I think, you know, him a lot for, you know, just answering a random Facebook message from a young kid, you know, because he saved me, you know, thousands of dollars and, you know, a very, very hard experience in the publishing world. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where, you know, those 
you know, and I've had people approach me too, still are like that. And, but because of Paul, I'm like, no, I'm okay. Thank you though. Or I'll get back to you later, that kind of thing. But really in my head, I'm like, now nah, you're just, you know, trying to circle and, and get what you can. So those people are still out there, but yeah, I think if, again, if you find a good community and, you know, find people that back you and, you know, you can, yeah. you know, get good resources or, you know, ask people just questions. I think everybody's been awesome. I mean, you know, I've had a couple of times I've asked you questions or different things, you know, we've had great conversations on Twitter. And I think that to me is one thing that Dirk and I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago. I, I went down and met like Kevin Hearn, Brandon Sanderson, Patrick Rutherford, Brian Steveley, um, Brian McKellen, just like so many people all at the same time at the same um, event, the Poison Pen about eight years ago. Uh, and it was, I just thought that their community itself was really cool. Um, and it, I feel like it's only gotten better uh, as time's gone on. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. The, the science fiction and fantasy writers community is, has been very welcoming. I, you know, I, I have tried to, to, you know, pay forward all the welcome I got. So with my very first couple of publications, uh, Chris, Kristen Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith took me under their arm. Cool. And they were like, part of the reason I was, you know, not completely flipped out with, with the PRH merger is they're like, okay, so you're starting out. Um, here are the things you need to know. One of them is at some point your career is going to start on fire and sink. And that's okay. It happens to all of us. Um, here are the things you need to do to plan for that. Here's how you with it. Um, that was fairly late in, you know, when they were mentoring me, they don't, they don't start you off there because they don't, yeah. they don't want, they don't want you to go <laughs> and run for the hills. They, but, but they walked me through all of that years before it became a problem. So yeah, they were really helpful. Um, so a thing you mentioned, uh, the, 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 that first book that you, you know, transformed, um, I know you're interested in the Fallen Blade series. Oh, yeah. Uh, regular. So the first version of what became the Assassin, uh, the, uh, the Fallen Blade was a book called Assassin's Apprentice. Um, and it was, it was part of a trilogy uh, that I called the Assassin Mage trilogy. Uh, it was very... <sighs> so the magic system started out because I was interested... Well, honestly, it started out in part because I'd been reading Mercedes Lackey's Herald Mage books. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the way that the companions worked with the characters was, I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting, but what's the mechanism? So I wanted, I started thinking about the idea of familiars, um, it, both in classical magic and in, in, in fantasy and science fiction. And I'm like, I want to do something where the familiar is integral to the process and integral to the character and and they're inseparable i wanted to do something with that so that was that that piece of magic system is where i started with magic system is where i started with the, the, the third novel that i wrote was like i said uh not it's not it's not great but it's it's not horrible it was this assassin's apprentice was gonna be the first of three um was not picking up agents um so i ended up parking it when i went to write short stories then the thing that did sell was my web mage series, uh, which is for your, your, your watchers is um, hacking as magic. So magic oh, is cool. all done through spells, uh, web mage, spell, uh, spell crash. Anyway, the, the lead character is the grandson of one of the Greek fates and a hacker because the fates oh, cool. have a, they, they, they now govern their system with a magical system because it's much more efficient than the loom of fate. 
Um, but when that was coming to a close, I was, I was getting kind of burned out on it. So I proposed to my daughter, I'm like, I want to do something completely different. We went talking back and forth. And um, the way we discussed it was, okay, I can, I, I'm interested in writing anything. I like science fiction. I like fantasy. I write humor. I write quite dark. Um, so I, I, I basically I came up with this panel of sliders, like science fiction to, to fantasy, uh, light to dark. And, you know, where do you want all of this? And then once we had a place, you know, kind of what kind of series she wanted from me, I said, okay, now let me go away. I'll come back to you in like two or three weeks once I've had some time to think about it. And what we wanted was something episodic. Um, so not like a trilogy trilogy, but an open-ended series. Um, one of the models we talked about was, um, oh, now I've lost the name. Anyway, I'll come, I'll come back to that. But the, the detective story for magic. Mm. Um, I said, okay, I have this story in a box, this, this thing about familiars in a box. And I have, I, you know, the classic fantasy map because, you know, you're 20, you're like, I want to write the you know, classic fantasy trilogy. And I, I pulled that stuff out and I said, well, there's a lot here that I still love. I still love the ideas for can I repurpose the world and the familiar stuff into something new and make that the, the, the world that I'm talking about with my editor? And what came out of that is like, okay, episodic. So I want to do something like a hard-boiled detective because you get a mystery, it moves forward. I, because of the way I think in, in terms of fantasy, it's got this huge arc, nine book arc that I have now, um, six completed, uh, two and a half left to go. Um, but each book was designed to, 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 I wanted you to be able to pick it up, read it and go, oh, this is a cool book and it has a complete story. Um, so the, the detective, the episodic, the magic, um, and because so much of my thinking about how story works has, had changed in the 18 years between writing the books, um, I was able to do a lot of other stuff. So initially the Blade books had a, a fairly standard fantasy world going on. Um, I like to believe that if I had continued writing, I would, have, I would have changed things a little more like I did when I came back to them. One of the things that I've always tried to do when I'm world building is I will look at this thing fills this niche in the story. And this is the way my brain came up with the idea. So like the Durkhoff, the, my, my underground Fae, um, in the initial, okay, I need something that does this. You know, they were basically dwarves, um, which was fine for conception. But then once I sat down to write about them, I'm like, okay, but everybody does dwarves. What can I do to make them cool? What can I do to make them all my own? Um, and one of the threads that I always think about in terms of fantasy um, is fairy and, and classical fairy, not like the, not like too much of um, commercial fairy, where yeah, yeah. the fae are really fucking scary yeah, yeah. Um, in the classical stories. So I'm like, okay, so I need something subterranean. Um, I want it to be fairy-like. I want it to be really, really scary. Um, and that's that that's how you know my 
four foot dwarves with their braided beards and their axes became um, basically stop motion vampire elves. Um, I mean, they definitely were terrifying because you never know, like in the book, like when they're going to pop up. Um, and I feel like Arlo in particular, I remember there's like one scene where he's talking to someone and he's like, has a thought, you know, like they could come here at any minute. And it's like, yeah, they, they really can. And I, I just felt like it added a lot to, um, oh, uh, I was just reading, oh, Philip Athens, uh, his book on how to create really good monsters um, and just, you know, and just character effects like that. And I just felt like that was one that really stuck with me from your series, because again, I felt like they could show up at any minute and <laughs> you didn't know if they were going to, what they were going to do or where they would be. And, you know, it was just one of those things, but it was really good. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's one of the things that I bring to fantasy that I actually picked up. I think it might've been Werner Benji um, talking mm -hmm. about science fiction was if you want to create believable um, other species, um, there are two things you can do. One of them is to change the way they look. So something that look, doesn't look like a human, that, that's automatically one, one step of remove. But another thing that you can do that is often scarier is it looks human, but it really, really doesn't think human. Mm. And I, I find that to be a much more interesting challenge um, because in part because it forces me to say, okay, I, I am now, I'm now a creature that lives for essentially ever or until something kills it. How does that change the way I think about, you know, everything? Um, and that's, that's part of it. And I have, I, I also, the, the different environment. And how does that environment change the way I think about things? And I find that to be a really, both a really fun writing challenge and a really useful tool for um, world building fantasy. So that's, that's, that's one of my big world building um, tools. Another one is, well, one of, one of them is, does this, so I always have a default that will pop in with, with um, when I'm writing a character. And one of those things is, you know, I'm a middle-aged straight white guy. And, and so the first version of a, of a character that will often pop in is very much, you know, it's just a, it's a me placeholder because I'm okay. doing, you know, dialogue is between myself is a lot of the job. And so in a very, and so in a very mechanical thinking it through way, some point after that, placeholder character appears i stop and i say what are all the ways that i can make this character not like me hmm. um what are what are the things clearly there are some things that i will retain because it wouldn't have popped in to be a me like character um if i didn't need one but everything that i can change away from that everything that i can make more alien or um just fundamentally different from where I started is an opportunity to make the character and the interactions more interesting. Um, I really feel like you, well, I really feel like you really hit the nail on the head there though, with um, just like the shadow companions, just in general, like Triss, because there's so many times where you very subtly, um, you know, like there's one circumstance, I don't want to do spoilers, but 
there's one circumstance where your main character Arl is you know being attacked right and um it's a not good situation and his shadow companion Triss literally just just goes ape and just like goes crazy on everybody and then afterwards like apologizes to the main character and then the main character is like you know thinks about it's like well he's not like even he thinks of Triss as like a person but he's not right he's he's from the realm of shadow and I just thought that in particular, you know, that really showed world building at its finest because that oh, showed that they are alien. You know, they're they're alien to to the world you created, you know, to Aro's world. And it really made you wonder, like, you know, like um, there were other things that you I don't want to give things away, but there's other things that you did where, you know, with those types of shadow companions where, you know, it really did remind you that they're they're not human. They might talk or you know, they might have the same emotions and things, but they are from the realm of shadow. And I just felt like personally, it deepened that character and all the shadow companions. And it really led credence to, um, you know, like the goddess Namara that you created. And I just think it led to a greater mythology, um, for me at least, of the world you created. And it actually also too, um, I feel like really added to the other types of companions you had, like the stone dogs and things like that. Um, and it even added, I think, a little bit more alienness to um, some of the, I'm going to, I don't want to spoil anything. So some of the other creatures that you had pop up in your world, I just think, but that was like, it was, you know, Triss is a main character to me, you know, and for him to act a certain way based off of his species, I guess you could say, or mm -hmm. race that really, to me, just lent a lot more to the entire world. After that, I looked at the book and the world building completely different just from that one circumstance. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I'm doing with the Blade series um, is I want to, I want to, Errol's very much a thinking character. He's, yeah. he's always thinking. Um, and having had his goddess murdered, not a big spoiler it comes out in like early in chapter one um it's in the blurb too really, for book one so <laughs> really just shattered just shattered just shatters them as a person so he's he's rebuilding his personality as he goes along and that means that he has to think a lot more deeply about a lot of stuff that is that was just second nature to him and one of the things that i really wanted tris to be able to do is tris doesn't think like a human being and every so often that will cause clashes, but there, it also gives me the opportunity for them to have these conversations where Errol's like, I, you know, I'm not sure about the morality of the killing this person. Tris is like, I don't know. Killing is fine. I don't understand what your human problem is with this. Yeah. And so being able to have that, that back and forth between different morality structures allows me to bring out stuff that I wouldn't otherwise, uh, especially given one of the, so, you know, I, you always want to write challenges for yourself. You want to have stuff that's like, well, this will be more difficult. Um, and one of the things that I said is, okay, I'm writing a book about a character who is basically a psychopath for the forces of good. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's a killer and he, he, he's good at his job and he likes his job. Um, and he's an addict. And one of the things that was important to me to keep it in the fantasy milieu was to say, I can't use any of the modern language of psychology or, psychology or addiction. Um, there are all of these shorthands that we have as a culture that I'm like, I'm just gonna remove those tools from the table because they make a lot of this stuff too easy. Um, 
And by removing those, I think I actually get a, a deeper look at some of them because I have to talk about them in terms of their emotional impact and their impact on story in, in a different way. I can't say, oh, he's just a psychopath. I have, to, I have to get into his head and why he's willing to kill people for the forces of good. And I think that that was, um, it provided me with a crap ton of extra work, but I think it helps make the, the story deeper. Oh, yeah. Um, one other thing, because again, I know you were, the world building was one of the things you were more interested yeah, in. Yeah. Um, so I knew that there were going to be a number of books. So very early on in the first book, Errol's like, I'm going to go get a meal of this fish. I've bought great. Um, been to a couple of those in coastal places. And, and Errol walks in. And he's he orders, and I'm like, okay, I need to I need to give him something plausible to order that that you don't want to you don't want to I'm going to have the global snarch, yeah, yeah. Um, because that doesn't give your reader enough context. But you also don't want to say I'm going to have the tuna because that drops you into the world. So you you know some kind of you know modifier for fish. And Errol's about to and Errol orders, and he's about to pay, and I'm like, okay, I could at this point just put down an arbitrary amount of coinage to pay for this. But because this is a, a novel and because it's intended to be the first at that point, I, I had six books plotted out. Um, I actually need to know how much things cost. And I need to know what my coinage is, you know, all the denominations, how much they're worth, how much does a meal cost? How much does a cart cost? Um, Magic is a thing in this world. I've got mage lanterns. Those are going to be much more expensive than torches, but they last longer. Um, so what's what's a reasonable cost? Um, so what's a, what's a reasonable cost point for that? Being able to magically alter items, change manufacturing and construction. And so I wandered away for about a week um, between ordering the food and paying for the food, and set out my coinage. Set up, thought about. Uh, exchange rates with other local kingdoms, um, thought about what was expensive, what was made expensive, what was made cheap by magic, thought about, um, you know, what are wages like, what's a price on somebody's head and, and just set the whole thing. And that's, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the things that people tend to forget about world building is so much of it is the iceberg because that represented a week of work on my part. Well, I figured it this all out for the reader. It was, and it was, you know, 10 shillings, whatever the actual price yeah, was. Yeah. And I, I built it off of um, my, my monetary system is essentially uh, renamed uh, late Republican Roman coinage. Um, but the city is architecturally, um, probably fifth century Chinese and the um, culture is probably much closer to first or second century. Um, and, you know, there's bits of hand China. And so those, those, those are the sorts of things that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the mechanical part of world building. Yeah. yeah. The organic part is the stuff that just brings into my head. And that's very easy for me. Um, the late Jay Lake used to talk about the, um, hand your dealt theory of writing. So every writer gets a set, a set of cards and, mm -hmm. you know, you get some face cards, you get some low cards. And 
for Jay, the easy cards were prose and um, plot, I think. And there were others that he had varying skills at when he really started working at it. World building is an easy one for me. I, my brain builds worlds at night. I wake up in the morning um, with you know, complete fantasy worlds in my head. And sometimes they're useful and I write them down. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, that's actually kind of incoherent and isn't very useful. But so the, the baseline of world building happens almost subconsciously for me. But it's the tools you use to transform that into something really unique, I think, that are the, the important part of world building. Yeah. Well, and I feel that, again, um, when I had lent my friend the copies of your books when I had finished, um, you know, he, he asked me, he's like, well, what are these like? And I, I tried to explain it to him. I'm like, they're very unique. I said, you know, if you, again, I talked about some of the books that he liked, um, you know, some of these classic pulps or, you know, the noir. Um, and I had told him, I said, you got this, um, Harry Dresden type assassin warrior. And I was like, his goddess has been killed and he's fractured by it. And, needs to find redemption and he literally just stood, stood there and looked at me he goes okay I'm sold and took all <laughs> from me and I was like but I told him I said here's the thing I said you really got to read the first book though like really soon because I just was trying to explain to him I said there's so much I said these books aren't very thick but the world building is very deep and I feel like that's what I really liked in particular and there's so many circumstances that you know pop into my head when I think about it and um I just think it's it's very hard to do. I think you know. I think most people need a Steven Erickson like you know amount of pages <laughs> to you know to get the world building down. And I felt like you did it very very quickly uh, through conversations, through thoughts between the main characters, um, past stories. You know where Arl was telling us you know different things that happened. Um, you know he was even at times filling in Tris on a couple things. Um, I really liked their different conversations. I thought that you had really deep relationships uh, between all the characters. Uh, they each had some sort of trauma that they were dealing with. And, um, you know, I thought that that was very realistic for the situation, but also made them feel more real. Um, but yeah, there's just a, you know, I just felt like you did very subtle things with the world building that made the world feel very real. Um, that's where I got done with the last book. And I was just like, okay, now what do I do? Because he had become one of my favorite characters that I had ever read. So I was really happy that you said you were trying to drum up some other ones. So my, I told my buddy and he was like, yes. <laughs> so we're definitely, definitely looking forward to those. So awesome. Yeah, there'll be, there will be nine. Um, I could write some other stuff in the world, but the big arc is a nine book arc. Awesome. Um, but Dresden Files, that was what I was trying to think of when I was talking about episodic yeah i don't story. know why i couldn't think of it either <laughs> i drum it up to this sunday morning in a pandemic year five so <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah you and i know you'd mentioned being interested in some of the some of the stuff that i read and some of the stuff that i recommend and dresden files are one of those uh uh the mercedes lackeys the 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 herald mage stuff was was one of the they're some of the books that made me um they're not everybody's cup of tea but they were pretty popular um the stuff that Martha Wells has been doing lately is amazing. Oh, um, and I, so I started with her with Element of Fire, which is to this day, one of my go-to books. I will oh, okay. Go See, I haven't read that one of hers yet. I'll have to go check that out. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Element of Fire and Death of the Necromancer. Um, okay. just, just outstanding books. 
basically everything Rogers Elasny wrote, every everything you see from me in terms of of tone and dry humor and um, trying to get that essential extra element of weirdness into things, I probably learned most of that reading Zelazny. Um, okay, that's good to know. I'm putting okay. together a list for uh, our for our readers um, uh, online and then for people that view that way, because some people just want to pop in for that. They told me, so I said, that's yep. fine too. So yeah, that, those are really good suggestions there. Well, and if you um, go to my website in the other stuff, there is a recommended reading list that I put together oh, cool. 2005, 2006. And it's, oh, cool. it's basically all of the, the science fiction and fantasy that really made me what I am. Oh, that's cool. That's actually a really good idea for a web, uh, you know, uh, author website too. I had not considered uh, doing that, but Mark Timoney and I talked, uh, he's actually been mentoring me a little bit um, through uh, my edits and things for draft two, but we had talked a lot about um, you know, just different books and things and different chats. So that's actually a really good idea. I think I might uh, do a small video and do my own. That's actually a really cool. good idea. Yeah, no, it started out as a, you know, it started out as a, the hundred. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> There's one night I just sat here and I just couldn't sleep. And I was like, I'm just going to put together my top 25 of all time. And then I think that divulged into what I liked about those things. And then I think that's where really, probably about six or seven years ago, I think that's where really my newest idea for world building came. And all of a sudden, all these old things I had done. And I do want to mention too, where you'd said, you know, that that old book that you had, you know, that you hadn't really done anything with. And a lot of people have mentioned that recently. So I was just trying to explain to some friends where, you know, like, don't ever throw anything out. You never know when later on, you'll have the skill to actually change it. And you know, if, if the Fallen Blade series is an example of that, I think it's a really good example of why you don't throw those things away. Because uh, a mutual friend of mine and, and Mark's actually, he goes, I just got mad and I deleted the whole book. And we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, that could have been the next classic in 10 years. And I'm like, you just like gypped the whole community, you know, and the whole world on what could have been a great story down the road. So that was one thing I was really trying to highlight is, you know, you never know when that old work could be, you know, your new novel. So. Yeah. The, um, and for people who are interested in finding out about more, my, but more about my stuff or follow me on Twitter, you can always go through kellymccullough.com. Um, oh, I will put that link in. I do have your website up and ready to go. So I'll be putting that link in. Um, and if you have any other that you want people uh, to go directly to, I'll put those in the description as well. That way it'd be very easy for them uh, to find. I keep forgetting about WebMage, so I'll have to go and do that today. My buddy keeps asking me about it. So we're trying to trying to um, read that as quickly as possible. I just feel like I've been really swamped lately and I have no brain left lately. But uh, Well, teaching and teaching this pandemic is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, like I we were talking to um, I was talking to Miles Hurt. I just put up his interview um, the other day. Um, he, I didn't realize he was a teacher um, in Australia. And he said the same thing. He's like trying to work on his second book. And he's like, I just have nothing left by the time I get home. Uh, so I'm trying to carve out 15 minutes each day just to get some sort of edits. But yeah, it's been I didn't think it was going to be as bad as last year. It's been like three times as worse. So it's like it's been really crazy. But figure if I could get everything done by the summer and take the summer off, you know, kind of mm -hmm. plan ahead a little bit, but yeah, it's been very challenging. I don't, I feel for any authors that are teachers and trying to do it at the same time. Cause it's been, 
I mean, being an author is just hard and writing a book is just hard in general, just for anybody. And I know I've probably been 14 years in the making for this first one. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a long ride, but it's been fun, like you said earlier. So mm -hmm. yeah. And just one, one more tiny touch on the, the old book, but I think most people, that first book comes from a place of deep love. It's, it's, it's the stuff that you love and it's, if for no other reason, it's worth keeping that around to say, what is it about this that I love that I can use in what I'm doing now? I think that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. And I just, I said to somebody, I said, even if I don't, you know, publish this first one, I said it, and that's what Mallory Kuhn said. She wrote six. So her first book that she published is her sixth novel. Um, you know, and I remind people a lot too, with Brandon Sanderson, he had written like something like 13 uh, before finally going back and deciding to finish one of them and re-edit them and, you know, do something very similar to what you had done with the Fallen Blade series and, you know, and then kind of went from there. But yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a really good point, you know, and it's nice to even just have them around. That's what we were trying to explain to our friend. It's nice just to have around just to remind you why you do this whole crazy thing. Because <laughs> it is pretty crazy when you think about like the fact that you took, you know, these ideas that you had in your head and then created a very real world for my friend and I and these very real characters like I tried to explain to a couple of students of mine the other day that really enjoy you know reading and writing and I said to them I was like it really is crazy when you think about it that it's just up here and then you have these physical things you know that come out and yep. you know and the fact that somebody could cry about one of your characters you know and I think it was your book four it was either book yeah it was book four that had to be one of the best endings to a book I have ever read and it was so climactic I went back home I was at work on my lunch break and I could not wait I went back home and I actually reread the last like 50 pages and it was absolutely extraordinary and that's when I first started bugging my friend about reading them so it's just funny to me you know again to to think that those ideas just came from your head one day and you just mm -hmm. put them on paper you know and to make people feel real emotions for your characters I think is truly rewarding and it really is a very special thing, you know, that authors do. So, yeah. Uh, again, Kelly, we really want to thank you. I, you know, like I said, I've been a fan ever since I picked up your books a couple years ago. Um, my friend wanted me to say hello. <laughs> His name is Dan, too. Uh, Hi, Dan, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always tease him. I'm Dan number one. Uh, so we'll definitely be on the Outlook. Uh, like I said, I have to go and uh, share a web page <laughs> uh, here and uh, kindle it up together. Uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on today, Kelly, any other time you want to stop by, let us know, you know, any of the news or anything, yeah. any other novels, particularly Fallen Blade series, because I'm addicted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> want to thank everybody again for tuning in to another episode of the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. You can find this video and our other videos on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I have not done the Spotify yet. It has been very difficult. I will try to get that up today. There's a couple of things, licenses and things that we were finishing up for the RSS feed. Uh, I believe my tech guy said it is done uh, by the time you guys will see this video. So you shouldn't have to worry about it. Uh, feel free to reach us at scholars of UMA. That's U-M-A at gmail.com. Let us know again, you know, if you've read, uh, you know, Kelly's books or if you're going to go and read them, let us know what you think. Uh, if you have any questions for, you know, myself or him, you know, I'd love to pass them on to him um, or just, you know, things that you liked. Uh, if you guys have any questions for future guests, please feel free to also send me an email, send us any videos or pictures that are fantasy or sci-fi related. Again, Kelly, really want to thank you for coming on. Really enjoyed picking your brain and 
uh, fangirling out a little bit with you about the <laughs> Blade series. Uh, I really look forward to talking to you on Twitter again, my friend. Sounds good. You are most welcome. And uh, thanks for having me on. And, you know, if you want me to come back sometime. Oh, heck uh, yeah. Pleasure. Heck yeah. As soon as I get my updated schedule, uh, we'll get something on the books for like winter or spring, my friend. Okay, sounds good. All right, Kelly, you have a good rest of the day and I will talk to you later. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Nice talking with you and uh, your audience. Thank you <laughs> so much, Kelly. I appreciate it.